So we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. We are calling this sermon series the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to take this sermon series for the next several weeks through the summer, watching and learning from Jesus. I'm convinced that we can become the kind of people who live lives like Jesus would live if he was living our life. And so I want to just walk with Jesus. I want to learn from Jesus. And I want to gather lessons from him as we go. And so we're going to walk through this fast-paced record of Jesus' life that was recorded by Mark. Now, tradition says that Mark spent a lot of time with the Apostle Peter. And over time, then, Mark penned those stories of Jesus. And that is what we have as the gospel according to Mark. Last week we saw that Jesus comes on the scene as Messiah, and so he's bringing the fulfillment of all these promises from the Old Testament that someone was going to come and bring salvation to his people. And we saw that Jesus is coming out of nowhere, really. We see first that John the Baptist is the herald. He's telling everyone Jesus is coming, but he's doing it in the wilderness. And then Jesus comes from the town of Nazareth, this small little town. We noted that God is often working where no one expects. And then Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist as a sign of submission. And then he is led into the wilderness. And it's there in the wilderness that he is tempted by Satan. And that's where we left the story last week. So this week we pick up with verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. That's where we pick up in the story. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what we read. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. We're going to just stay right there for a little bit. We want to camp on just those two verses for a moment. We want to dig underneath, get behind the text a little bit. Because we need to understand what is so good about this news that the kingdom of God is near. To me, that begs a particular question. It it begs this question. Here's the question that I want to ask. If the good news is that the kingdom of God is near now, what kingdom was near before now? Who had authority in the world before Jesus arrived? Why would it be good news that the kingdom of God was now available right there to be participated in. What kingdom was there before now? Now to understand that, we're going to have to grab at several different scriptures throughout the New Testament, but the first place to go is to go right back into the scene we, we left. We need to understand maybe what happened with Jesus in the wilderness, and that might give us a clue to what's happening with this kingdom before Jesus arrived. When Jesus is in the wilderness, he's being tempted by Satan, and in Luke chapter 4, Verses 5 and 6, we read something Satan says that tips us off to how to answer that question. This is what happens. Then the devil took him, that's Jesus, and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine, right? They are mine to give to anyone I please. Well, that tells me that Satan must be in control of some things in this world. Maybe in a way that I haven't yet fully understood. So let's grab a few more scriptures. Jesus, when he's talking 
later in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to see this record in Mark, but Matthew's where we want to sit. Jesus says something that tips us off that maybe what Satan said here is exactly the way things really were before Jesus arrived. Here's what Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, 26. Jesus knew their thoughts. He's talking here about the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can what? His kingdom stand. That tells me, from the word of Jesus, the ki- Satan has a kingdom. And that kingdom was his to give away, which is what he tries to do with Jesus in the wilderness. Now, we just don't want to stop there. Let's go over to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says this, The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. So Jesus comes on the scene declaring that the kingdom of God is near. What we now know, if you take those three passages in context and together, is that the kingdom of Satan, the rule of Satan, was very much present in their day. That he had authority over the world. He had great influence in the world. Now, this was not always the case. In the beginning, God created the world and it was very good. It wasn't until Adam and Eve tried to be God. Now, we typically say that they ate ate the apple, not really concerned what they're eating or what the fruit was. The key is that they tried to be God. And they tried to exalt themselves over their creator. And in doing that, sin entered the world and through sin came death. Which brings me to this insight. That is, when death entered the world through sin... Satan gained power in this world. This is where Satan's power is coming from. It's by having a handle, a control over death, which entered the world through sin, and Jesus came to destroy this power. Now, if we just left it there, I think we got a pretty good case to make. But it just so happens there's some more Bible passages that reveal this truth to us. And so we really want to take those into account and just put them all together to understand why in the world it would be good news when Jesus comes on the scene saying that the kingdom of God is near. And so first let's take Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Take a look at what the Hebrew writer says. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Satan held a very real power in our world. So much so that Jesus, remember, says in Matthew 12 that he actually has a kingdom. And remember, in Luke 4, Satan tried to give that kingdom to Jesus as a form of temptation in the wilderness. All of that is happening. All of that's in context when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near and calls it good news. That this new kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, is now available to all people. So let's take one more, one more. 1 John 3, verse 8. But when people kept on sinning, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, I got good news. Now we typically call that the gospel. That the kingdom of God, the rule of God is now available. He's saying something very specific. 
in that time, in that moment. And it has something to do with his relationship with the kingdom of Satan, the rule of Satan, the adversary. Here's how I want to summarize all of it. It's to say it this way. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, it is a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war against Satan. And it's a declaration of hope to those trapped under his rule. So you can imagine the way people may have heard that statement in his day. And all the different ways it could have been heard and interpreted. And what we're going to find in the Gospel of Mark is that as the kingdom of God is on the, on, on the assault, is on the, on the offense, as the kingdom of God comes in the very body of Jesus on the scene as he proclaims this message of good news, we're going to see that the kingdom of Satan is attacked. It's assaulted. And we're going to see that happening in some particular ways. And so I just want to here consider four, at least four, four things that thrive in the kingdom of Satan. And we're going to see these things throughout the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see these things thriving throughout the Gospel. This is a fast-paced story, and as the kingdom of God moves with speed, we're going to see these enemies begin to be taken down, one after the other. Ultimately, this is going to take us all the way to the cross, and then to a victory in the resurrection. But as we just move through our passage today, we're going to see some things begin to fall under the authority of the kingdom of God. These four things. So, for example, pride. Pride is an influence of Satan that thrives under his rule. Now, pride can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. It just can. It's when you think you're better than, than you really are. It's when you think you're something. It's when you brag on yourself. And we got a lot of different ways of doing this. And in the Gospel of Mark, this begins to manifest itself with elitism privilege, people that are securing systems of power and privilege, and they think very highly of themselves. They even dress really nice. This is typically the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, those that hold positions of power and can oppress the people with their rules and all of their regulations and all of their rituals. And typically people in power, people who have access to this privilege, they don't even think, they, they don't recognize it. This is where Jesus comes in and exposes their pride for what it is. It exposes their elitism, their privilege. I just want to take one scripture here. I want to just fast forward into the Gospel of Mark. I want you to see Jesus do this. We won't do this for every one of these four things, but just take a look at how he does it with pride eventually. Here's what he says in Mark chapter 1. Uh, do, can we go back one? Just a couple slides. There we go. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Well, they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show and make lengthy prayers. This is the kingdom of God pressing right up against pride here later on in the gospel. And so the teachers of the law are those that are of the elite, the privileged, in their society, in their culture. The other thing I see of these four things, if we can come back to that list of four things, is that I see manipulation. I see manipulation happening and will continue to happen through the gospel. It is the influence of Satan. That's where you use your words to gain control. 
But unfortunately, or fortunately, manipulation, when you use your words just to control people, they are without substance. The only reason manipulative words work is because they typically are backed by power. Systems of power, systems of violence. They're usually in a position where one is underneath, a power, underneath the power of someone else. And so you use your words in a way that hurts or abuses others. Manipulative words have no authority beyond the authority that backs them. And so manipulation is a tool of Satan. Manipulation is the use of words that paints a picture of the world that is false. But it's a way of getting what you want. And it often leaves a wake of abuse in its, in its, uh, leaves abuse in its wake. And then evil spirits is another thing that thrives in the rule of Satan. Now this has a lot of different way, this has a lot of different words associated with it. Uh, demons is one that we typically see. We're going to see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. Sometimes they're called impure spirits. But these are those spirits, those non-physical beings that are under the influence, under the rule of Satan, and they are turning the world against their creator. And they take on many different forms, and they can, be, uh, they can influence in different ways. They can actually possess people, or they can mess with the structures of society so that abuse and so violence take root in a culture. But evil spirits thrive in the rule of Satan. And what we will see in the Gospel of Mark is that as Jesus moves and takes his message of the Gospel and the kingdom of God in his body as he, as he moves forward on a fence, uh, we're going to see that evil spirits are going to have a problem with this along the way. And then last, you have disease. You have disease. Death has a hold on our world. That's all under the influence of Satan. And because of that death, things break down. Cells in our bodies go haywire, cause cancer. The heart and arteries start to pick up different things along the way, clogging the traffic of blood, and you have things like heart attacks and strokes. You have things that happen in the womb of a woman as that baby is being developed that cause miscarriages or bring a child into the world with some type of disease. This is all part of the fall. This is not what God intended. And so disease is under the influence of Satan. And so it shouldn't be a surprise as we see Jesus moving forward into the world in Palestine, bringing the good news of the gospel, carrying the kingdom of God in his body, that you're going to see disease have a particular reaction to Jesus. So what you're going to see is that Jesus is actually going to flip everything upside down. All the things under the influence of Satan are going to be reversed as Jesus moves forward in the gospel. You're going to see, rather than pride, you're going to see lowliness. For example, I would expect that if you are an influencer in this world and you're going to bring students into your influence, you're going to pick the best educated students. You're going to pick the best looking students. You're going to pick the ones from the, that live in the centers of influence in your region. Jesus is going to have a different way. He's going to pick a different kind of student. And you would think that if you're an influencer, you want, you want influential people coming around you. And what we will see is that a different group of people start to form around Jesus. It's because his kingdom is upside down. 
He is reversing the order of Satan. We're going to see, too, that manipulation, Jesus doesn't manipulate, he doesn't use empty words that have no authority beyond the violence or power that backs them. We're going to see, we're going to see Jesus speaking truth. And it just so happens that people are going to notice something's very different about the way Jesus talks. And they're going to declare that difference, and it will amaze them. We're going to see evil spirits... We're going to see evil spirits reacting to Jesus. They're going, to, they're going to be fleeing from Jesus. They're going to confront Jesus, and Jesus will confront the evil spirits, and we're going to see the influence of Satan diminished. We're going to see evil spirits cast out. And then we're going to see diseases flee the bodies of many as they come into contact with the kingdom of God. And so that's what I want us to see in this passage today. It's a rapid story over several verses and several verses and along the way you watch as the kingdom of god begins to overthrow and reverse the kingdom of this world so let's take a look chapter 1 verse 16 let's now jump into the text as jesus walked beside the sea of galilee he saw simon and the brother andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I don't expect in the kingdom of Satan, in the rule of this world, that you'd be calling common men like this. These are lowly men. Of, common, of a common uh, pedigree, common family, and Jesus picks them. This is a reversal of the order of this world. Let's continue, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Truth always has authority. Manipulation carries no authority beyond the power that is used to back it. And yet here Jesus teaches truth and the people recognize something's different. It carries authority because Jesus is giving knowledge about the way things really are. And they see it. It's a reversal of the order of this world. Pick up verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit, another translation says evil spirit, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. 
In the order of this world, I, wouldn't, I would not expect a person of influence to be taken up, his time taken up with ordinary people, sick people. I'd expect them to be in their office, moving in the marketplace, places of influence, gathering popularity, promoting themselves. I wouldn't expect this, going to a lowly house, healing a woman in that day, significant, and then taking people sick and demon-possessed and bringing them back to life. That's not what I'd expect in the kingdom of this world. But Jesus is reversing the order of the world. Let's continue, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And he's traveling to small little villages along the way. These are far from centers of influence. But the kingdom of God is about lowliness and truth. It's about deliverance. It's about healing. And as we move quickly through those verses, verse 16 through 39, we see the kingdom of God reversing the order of the world. So how in the world do we apply any of that to our life? Well, today I'm going to draw an application from Jesus himself. Because you, who are astute, realize I left out a few words of our passage. I wanted to surprise you. An aha moment, like I gotcha. If you didn't feel that moment, take a moment right now. It's coming. Verse 15, the end of verse 15 is where I want our application to be. It's where Jesus says this. Right after Jesus had said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, he then gives an application. It's what I left out. He says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is simply to turn around and go a different direction. It's to reverse your way. And he tells them, he tells all, everyone who would come into the kingdom to change the direction they're going and go a different way. He's inviting them into this reversal that he is instituting as he brings the kingdom. Come, come with me. Come with me as we reverse the world. But to do that, you have to change directions. And the Bible word for that is repent. And believe. Act as if it actually is true. You, we can believe a lot of things that we don't actually believe. Belief is always acting as if it is true. And so he says, now come. Come and participate in the reversal of the world. Now, as we note, this still applies to us today. That is, this whole repenting thing is not just a message for them in their day. It's something that still applies to us. Because although Satan has received a mortal blow and death has been destroyed with the resurrection, Satan still has great influ influence in our world. And so I want to grab here a passage from the Apostle Paul where he gives some insight into how much influence Satan still has in our world. He says it to Christians. He says it to people who have come out of the kingdom of Satan. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this. 
Once you were dead, he says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Satan is alive and well, and those that rebel against God, even in our day, that are living and working in these systems of power, where we see pride and manipulation, where we still see evil spirits at play, and we still see disease ravishing our world, that is still the influence of Satan in our world. And so let me say say it in this way here to move us to an application for our day. Satan will have influence in this world until the day of judgment. That's just the way things are. And we have played in his kingdom. That means you have played in his kingdom and been infected by evil. And the only way to get out is to repent of our sins and believe the good news of Jesus. You are not by nature a good person. You're just not. If you have any question about how good you are, try to be good today and watch how, how you fail miserably. And you will come to that realization that you need Jesus. You need someone to help you. We have played in the kingdom of Satan and we have been infected by evil. That's something you still carry with you in your body, in the muscle memory of your flesh. And yet, and yet, the application Jesus gives in his day still applies today. Repent, reverse order. Reverse order and live a different way. So they've got to ask these questions then. They've got to ask this question and make some application of how this might look in your life. In what ways do these, these, do these things still have hold of you? Pride, manipulation, evil spirits, disease. What do you think about yourself? You think you're that good? How do you brag about yourself? Or how do you make sure to get your way at home or at work? Gossip is a really great way of propping yourself up. And it comes in a lot of different forms. Or when you're at work and there's that coworker that you don't like and you have a lot of good reasons for not liking them. And you make sure to let everyone else know who is an ally why you don't like them. And you know how that starts to spin. You go home frustrated with the coworker, but glad you have so many allies, right? We've all done that at some point. Because who of us wants to think we're the problem at work? It's always that person. Or at home. How often are our problems at home the other person's fault? Or maybe it's that extended family member that you just don't want to see when you get up to the 4th of July. Or maybe it's that rebellious teenager that really is frustrating you. Surely it's not you and your parenting. It is definitely the teenager. And we have all kinds of reasons to blame them. But just what if some of that is a form of pride where we prop ourselves up thinking we're really good and better than we really are? And what does your social media presence look like? Is everything look really good on your Facebook page? Maybe, just maybe, life isn't as good as all those people think who thumbed up your recent picture, right? We have a lot of different ways of expressing our pride. And I cannot figure out what all that looks like for you. I'm just, this is a shotgun approach in application. I figure I'm hitting somebody with something. 
because these are some of the things that I struggle with. And what about this manipulation? How many of you use your words to get what you want, and yet they carry no weight except that the power structure you're, that, that is behind them when you use them? I don't know. I just know we have a lot of different ways of manipulating people. And so think about that. What are ways that you can let go of manipulation? You know, there's a point at which Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That seems really simple. But what Jesus is grabbing at in that teaching is, say what you mean and let the chips fall as they may. Do not manipulate. And we are always closest to manipulation when we tell a little bit of truth and leave out the rest. That's where we are closest to manipulation. Lying by omission. You get where I'm coming from here. Really consider what that might look like for you. In our day, manipulation runs rampant. Evil spirits, I don't know, what does that look like? I'm going to say I don't think anyone in this room is demon-possessed. Although, isn't it interesting that a man was demon-possessed while he was at church in the synagogue? Interesting. I call that a theological side note if we were going to go down that road. A demon-possessed man in the synagogue. But I tend to think that we let a lot of evil, a lot of violence, a lot of darkness, and literally evil spirits into our homes through our TV screens and our mobile phones and through the music we listen to. I don't know what that looks like, but I tend to think that there is an evil spirit present in the homes that are riddled with pornography. I don't know exactly how that works out, but I will tell you that evil pervades our world in ways that we don't fully understand. And when we mess around with darkness, it has a way of spreading. So be very careful with what you're watching and what you're listening to. This is not some cliche sermon where I'm browbeating you saying, don't you ever look at this. Don't watch this rated movie. You can figure out what all that looks like for you. But just know that I think evil spirits have a way of moving into our world through our screens and our music in ways that are unprecedented in our world. And then disease. Disease is still declaring war on our bodies. And this is the one that's very difficult to deal with. But here's what I want to say. Not that if you just had enough faith, the cancer would go away. Or if you just had enough faith, you would never get sick. Or if you're dealing with sinuses today, well then just go home and pray a lot and then they'll go away. Throw away your flonays and pick up some faith. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Don't let disease rob you of your joy in Jesus. In the end, no matter what disease does to your body and at what point in your life it does it, it will never destroy your soul. And so if I die tomorrow from some rare form of cancer I didn't know right, that I had right now, don't you worry, I am alive and well. My body just got put down for the count. But my soul is alive and well and I will have a new body one day. Now take care of my family. Lavish them with lots of food as you do well. But do not worry about how I am doing. And so if you are struggling with chronic pain, you are struggling with disease, or you were just hit with a diagnosis, 
You need to take that to Jesus. And in the kingdom of God, you can still find joy in the midst of your hurt. And I don't know how Jesus will do that for you. He will work with us right where he finds us. But if you take that with to him in the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, joy will be yours no matter how your body feels. And do not let disease rob you of joy in the kingdom of God. So let's take a next step. I want to take a next step here. And I'm taking this right from Jesus. I feel like I'm just a big plagiarizer today. Follow Jesus' example. What in the world do I mean? Just pick a simple one out of the passage today. Get away to a quiet place and talk to God this week. Now, I would have put prayer, but prayer seems a bit, a bit Christianese, right? What do you mean pray? What do I say? Listen, God's not so concerned about all that. Begin to talk with him. What do you want to tell him? Are you mad? Well, then tell him you're mad. And talk with him. Get away to a quiet place and talk with God. Let me pray for you now. Father, I am so grateful for your goodness, your mercy as you reverse the way of this world. As you are now taking out the kingdom of Satan on the offensive, destroying pride, as you move and bring truth against manipulation, as you bring deliverance to those shackled by evil spirits, and as you bring healing in spirit and at times in body to those ravaged by disease. Go with us. We want to walk with you into the reversal of the world. This is really good news, and we have hope through Jesus. It's in his name we pray.